0: in Luke chapter 18 tonight, backing up just a little bit from where we were this morning. Luke chapter 18, we're going to back up tonight and uh, look at a parable that Jesus told, and Luke records this parable uh, just a little bit before the story of Zacchaeus here uh, in the gospel narrative. Of course, we examined some things, some perspectives on the story of Zacchaeus this morning, but Uh, this parable ties in uh, because of the subject matter. It deals with a tax collector. And uh, as we look at this parable uh, in in Luke uh, chapter 18, we notice some differences from the tax collectors we've seen of recent. You know, uh, this morning I I brought up Brother Eric's sermon from two weeks ago, where he mentioned the tax collector, Levi, who would uh, become the the disciple Matthew, this morning we looked at Zacchaeus, the wee little man that was the chief tax collector in all of Jericho, and then we come to Luke chapter 18, backing up here, and there's a big difference uh, in that here, as we read about this tax collector, we don't know his name. When we come to find out the name is you know, not important at all, the principles taught by this parable are what we need to take into account. But we see here in the parable, we're going to read it in just a second, but we see that it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And, and Jesus didn't need to use a name. He didn't need, he didn't need to say, oh, you remember old, old Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Or, or, no, Jesus just say tax collector and would evoke such emotion. But the same is true when he brings up the Pharisee, brings up emotion on the other end. Because when Jesus uh, discusses the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, these two groups represented to the people Jesus is talking to, and their minds represented two different ends of the spectrum. You got the Pharisees who are good, viewed as righteous and dignified. Boy, let me tell you, did they look dignified? And their robes and tassels and everything else. And, it, you know, in... Every synagogue, they're given the seat of honor, which, by the way, was the front pew. <laughs> we don't practice that so much in the Baptist church, but you know that no, we do tonight. Anyway, but <laughs> but back before I dig a hole, uh, but you know, on the other hand, most synagogues now the temple the temple wasn't this way. They couldn't keep anybody out of the temple that was a Jew. But a synagogue could restrict entrance. Tax collector wouldn't be let in most synagogues. So when you look at the two extreme ends of the spectrum, you begin to see this parable maybe in a little bit different light than just Jesus talking about two fellas that's walking down the street. These two groups would evoke strong emotion and What we'll find in this parable, just like we found in the story of Zacchaeus this morning, Jesus flips the script. And uh, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find ourselves here in this parable as well. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, it says, And Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your word. I do thank you for the truths we find here and the fact that this truth applies to us today in Bristol, Arkansas, as much as it applied all those years ago when Jesus taught it for the first time. I pray that we'd see the message that you want us to see tonight. Help us to see uh, not only uh, you in this text, but help us to see ourselves. and Father, convict us of any sin in our life and, and show us where we need to repent. Father, I pray that you'd be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We have two men. Jesus says they both went up to the temple to pray. Doesn't mean a whole lot to us here uh, tonight here in uh, Columbia County, but uh, there's some cultural things that we need to take into account that help us understand the significance of what's going on here. And we've already talked about a little bit of it in the introduction, but it says they went up to the temple to pray. Now, there is some uh, literal uh, nature to this in that the temple sat on the, you hear it referred to as the temple mount. So to get to the temple, what do you have to do? You have to go up to the temple physically to get there. But this Greek term translated went up denotes a righteous act of holiness. And so what Jesus is wanting his audience to know, and what he's wanting us to know as we read this, is that these two men went to the temple to perform a righteous act. And you say, well, that makes sense. They went to the temple to pray. And we see uh, prayer, you know, connecting with God to be a, a righteous act. But again, we go back to the fact that one of these guys is a tax collector. And all of a sudden, Jesus has got the crowd's attention. If he didn't have it before, because, like we said, any Jew could have gone in the what's known as the court of the Jews. They're the court of Israel, rather. They're in the temple compound. The tax collectors didn't usually go. You know, you kind of know where you're not welcome, and tend to stay away. and And they didn't typically go there. One commentator says that the crowd would have recoiled in indignation at the thought of a tax collector stepping foot inside God's temple. This was big. Jesus has their attention. There's a few considerations from this parable that I think we should see tonight to give us some insight and to why Jesus chose to focus on two men so drastically different from one another. And the first we see it, the first thing that we'll look at is how and what they prayed. Look again at the prayer of the Pharisee there in verse 11. It says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Now I picture him looking around extortioners, the unjust. Ooh, I heard what he did. That's an adulterer right there. And oh, would you look over here. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this little tax collector standing over here. He says, God, you know how good I am. I fast twice a week. Now let's stop and talk about that for a minute. Because, see, he wanted God to know he fasted twice a week But they made sure everybody knew they fasted twice a week. You know, they'd powder their face, make themselves look all pale. And he says twice a week. Do you know why they did it twice a week? Now, they were only commanded to fast on the Day of Atonement. That's the only day that that they were commanded that they had to fast. But he says, we take it a step further. We do it twice a week. Twice a week, they had market day, and everybody was in town. You know, I picture, um, Mac probably remembers this from his childhood, but I've seen pictures of the Magnolia Square with all the horses and buggies around it, you know. You remember that, yeah? Okay. And there's just hundreds, I mean, there's more people there than, as the saying goes, than you could shake a stick at, you know? I mean, just people everywhere because they came to town once a week. And I picture a day like that. And here's these Pharisees, powdering their face up to look oh just as miserable as, oh, I hadn't had anything to eat. I'm suffering for the Lord. You know, I mean, that's, that's what they're trying to do. And he says, God, you know how good I am. I fast twice a week. He says, I give tithes of all that I possess. We can paraphrase this Pharisee's, Boy, that's something to say. Paraphrase the Pharisees' prayer just by saying, Lord, look how good I am. Of course, the fact of the matter is we know that if God looks at us, he knows how good we're not. But can you just imagine the audacity of praying something like that? The thing is, this is just as common today and some folks as it was for this guy. Uh, We pick up from the context and uh, from the things we know about what's happening in the parable that this Pharisee is likely standing right out in the middle of the court where everybody can see. Jesus had called him out on this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 5. Jesus said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. That's what he liked to call the Pharisees. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So we picture this Pharisee standing in the middle of the court of Israel. And right there in the temple, and he prays, says, God, look how good I am. Thank you that I'm not as bad as these people. And like I just said a minute ago, sometimes folks today use this same thing. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we use that same thing maybe to justify our own sin. We say, well, I know I fill in the blank. My little favorite pet sin that I just don't want to give. I, I, I know I've got this little thing over here and probably shouldn't do it, but at least I'm not as bad as those people, you know. At least I hadn't killed anybody, you know. At least I'm not a drug dealer. At least I, you know, what fill in the blank, whatever it is. And we use this same mentality as the Pharisee. And Jesus is real quick to tell us at the end, and we'll look at it in more detail in a minute, God doesn't buy that. God doesn't buy that. He knows better. Sin is sin is sin. And the inescapable truth, as we saw this morning, I I quoted, you know, Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A-double-L-all, all, that includes us all. God knows the truth. And because we all sin, we all deserve the punishment that comes for that sin. We all deserve eternity and hell separated from God. But thank the Lord that He sent His only begotten Son that we don't have to do that. First lesson here is don't justify your sin based on the fact that it's not as bad as somebody else's sin. All sin is equally offensive to the person and the nature of God. Now consider the prayer of the tax collector. Verse 13, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, We'll stop right there and say, you know, you were contrasting this with the, tax, with the Pharisee, And you picture him standing there in the middle of the court of Israel, holding his hands up to heaven as they'd often pray, looking up to heaven, and it says here, this guy, the tax collector, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Pharisee stands out in the middle where everybody can see him, the tax collector's off to the side because he's too ashamed of his behavior, and he's too ashamed of his sin to be seen in the midst of everybody else. He's got a proper view of his sin and his life. He didn't even consider himself worthy to be in the presence of other believers, much less in the presence of... ...of a holy God. It says the tax collector wouldn't look to heaven. But there's something here... ...and we see this in his body language. It says he beat his breast. You know, I mean, when you're so grieved... ...and, and so upset, you just you know, put your fist to your chest... ...and you just close your eyes. That's what he's doing. He's He just he can't believe he's such a terrible person... And we don't see this in the King James Version as much as we see it in other English translations. But in verse 13, he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his whole prayer. In the original Greek, it would have said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. As far as this guy was concerned, there was nobody worse than him. This guy looks in the mirror and what he sees, to steal the term from the Apostle Paul, is the chiefest of sinners. This guy sees his sin and he sees his condition and it sickens him. Total opposite of the Pharisee. One author said that to beat our fist to our chest with bowed head and lowered face is to demonstrate grief and brokenness, and that's all this guy could do. And he could only get out these few short words, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He had nothing else to offer. It wasn't God, be merciful to me, a sinner, but remember these things I did. No, it was just God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I have no doubt that this guy was so grieved by his ways, so grieved by his actions that he just didn't have the words to pray. That he sat there so disgusted in his sin and so disgusted by his life and the way, he, all the things he had been doing. That's all the words he had. Makes me really happy about verses like Romans eight twenty six and 27. Gives us hope when Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This guy realized his sin. And he said the only thing he needed to say God have mercy on me, a sinner. Because you see, the difference is the Pharisee compared himself to the other people in the temple courtyard. We can get to feeling really good about ourselves when we start comparing ourselves to the folks we work with, or the folks we go to school with, or maybe even some of the folks we go to church with, I don't know, we start feeling really good, well, I got my life together, look how good I am, and we can start being like this Pharisee, but the tax collector didn't compare himself to everybody else. You say, well, what he's talking about how terrible of a person he is. Isn't he looking at how good all these other people are and he's seeing how terrible he is? No, he's not looking at other people. He's comparing himself to one, and that is a holy God. When he compares himself to a holy God, there's one reaction. Have mercy on me, God. And that's the only reaction we should give as well. We need His mercy. We need to to compare ourselves to Him. Let Him show us the areas in our life where there's sin. Maybe there's something unconfessed. Maybe there's something else going on. And we just need to say, have mercy on me, God. Look at the results of the prayer. You see, the tax collector did exactly what he needed to do. And here's what Jesus said. I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector was justified. Put that in our Southern Arkansas Baptist term, this fellow was saved. The tax collector... As far as everybody was concerned, the scum of the earth, the worst human being in their society, the tax collector, got saved. Jesus said the Pharisee, he went home just as lost as he's ever been. The Pharisee looked good on the outside. After he prayed, I can see him looking across the courtyard and, Man, did he look impressive. Man, did he look dignified. But on the inside, he was just rotten. Rotten sin. To borrow a line from Adrian Rogers, one one went home dignified, the other went home justified. I'd rather go home justified any day of the week rather than dignified. The only way to be justified, the only way to be saved, it's to understand that we can't justify ourselves. It's to understand there's only one we compare our lives to. And the tax collector figured that out. The first thing we've got to do in order to be saved is come to that realization, to come to that conviction that we need saving in the first place. The Pharisee had no clue he was lost. But the tax collector figured it out. And I think the key to living for Jesus daily is to wake up every day with that same realization. To wake up with that same realization every day that we can never be good enough to do it alone. That we've got to have His mercy and His grace to make it day by day. As we live our lives each day, we'll have the opportunity to do that. We'll have the opportunity to confess our sin. We'll have the opportunity to receive His forgiveness. And he'll give us another chance just like he gave the tax collector if we depend on his grace to see us through. Is there anything else before we close? If not, if you'll stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.